Well, good morning. Yeah, it's great to see you guys here uh, this morning. My name uh, is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at Salem. I um, want to extend my greeting and welcome to you, especially to you mothers. Uh, I love all of you, but especially you mothers. Um, you know, so when I was younger, um, you know, I don't think I realized um, how, I mean, like we know that we love people, we know that moms love kids, but then all of a sudden you become an adult, you become a parent, and you realize how hard it actually is to love people, you know, as they're growing up. And, and so like, as I was thinking about my mom and thinking about over the years and thinking about all the moms represented in this room, just want to say, even though we don't need a day to celebrate it, we want to say thank you to you. Uh, we celebrate you, we love you. Um, so much hard work and love and energy goes into uh, being a mom, and so we celebrate you. Um, at the same time, we also know that uh, Mother's Day uh, can be really hard for some. So uh, even think about our own story when we were uh, wrestling with infertility um, and how we desperately wanted to be parents. And so this was always a reminder for us. Um, some of you guys have lost a mom this year, uh, and that celebration is different. And there's pain and grief. And some of you uh, maybe are a mom who lost a, a kid or a child. And so um, we, we acknowledge and, and realize that, um, that this day can bring about a whole host of emotions for people. Um, both really good and, and, and also hard and difficult. And so we just want you to know that wherever you're at in your story and in your journey, we love you and we're glad uh, that you are here. So we've been in this series um, called Cave Table Road. Um, and if you're new to Salem or if this is your first time or if this language is still kind of settling in for you, uh, this is language that we use to talk about kind of um, the rhythms of Jesus and how we follow uh, those rhythms of Jesus. I, I'm in full awareness that today is not a great Mother's Day sermon. Um, we don't typically do that, but, but there's going to be some really good stuff for us this morning as we wrestle through. So, um, so cave represents um, this idea that uh, there, there's a space and an environment where we can come either personally or corporately to get time uh, with Jesus, right? And it's really this kind of this holy space. We can, we can bring our burdens to Jesus, and yet at the same time, we can take on his yoke and, and really say, okay, Jesus, I want to look more and more like you. And so there's that piece of cave, which is really holy. But last week, we talked about the table, right? And as we come to the table, table's where it gets messier, because not only are we wrestling with sin, that we have to wrestle with our sin and our struggles in the midst of community. And so there's this tension between putting to death and taking off the old and putting on the new and how we, how we learn to, to help each other um, in those struggles, in those moments. And so it gets messier, doesn't it? But then we get to the road, and next week we'll finish this Cave Table Road series by looking at investing in the next generation. Um, but this morning, as we talk about the road, what we're talking about is really evangelism and talking about bringing the word with us, you know, kind of where we, where we go. And for many Christians, this is what's unique about this, is that this is one of the hardest things you can do. So if the cave space is great and holy, if the table is great but messy, the road, we just kind of go, hmm, that's hard. <laughs> like, that's not, it's not a thing that we naturally, or many of us, it's not a thing that we naturally gravitate towards. Um, several weeks ago, um, my wife had flown to Madison, Wisconsin, where she's from, to get some time with her mom and her sister, suddenly the sister time. And so, um, and, you know, she left uh, me with, with my with with our four-year-old daughter and our dog, and so I thought, man, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a trek for me. <laughs> I've never really done a whole week with just you know, my four-year-old daughter, and, and so my dad called, and he's like, hey, why don't you come down to Nebraska? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> um, so we actually, we did this little daddy-daughter date, and it was really, it's really sweet, and so we drove down to Nebraska, and grandma enters into the scene, and wow, she just kills it. She's so good at loving on Eden, and she just loves it, she enjoys it, and so they're like doing the zoo, and all these crazy, fun things and 
and, uh, and so all of a sudden you have free time injected into your life, and so dad's like, hey, let's go golfing. Yes, please, you know? Um, so we went golfing, and so the very first day we get there, here's what I learned, is I've done this once before, but every time I do this, I'm amazed. My dad has this group of friends that he plays with, and there's anywhere from, I don't know, maybe five to 30, like 30 total, and it just depends on who's gonna show up on a, on a given day, and so we happen to show up, and like 18 guys show up, and uh, probably maybe one, maybe two know Jesus, but most of them do not, and so I, like, we're there, and we're playing, and we're getting ready to play, and so I'm just like on the putting green getting ready because I take golf really seriously, people. Um, so I'm like practicing my putting and in the corner of my ear, I hear this, this voice that says, my dad's name is Mark, by the way, just so you know, he goes, he goes, Mark has a son? Where is he? Oh, I made him. And I was like, oh boy, hello. From a distance. Yeah, we can, I can stay over here if you'd like. I don't know if you're going to like me or not. So, you know, um, but he was super loving and gracious. And so, but it was just this weird thing, even from the start. I was like, man, these are, these are people who don't know Jesus. And yet, wow, they really love each other. And so it was great. So as I started to watch this whole group interact, and I watched like as people started to, to tee off, right? Like I've never heard so many swear words in my life, you know? Like it was like you, you top a ball, you hit it that way, you hit it, you even hit it straight and they're swearing, you know? I'm like, I don't know. I, like what quantifies or what's says when you do and when you don't, if you don't know Jesus. Um, and so all these words are like flying around. There's inappropriate like comments and gestures and all of this stuff. And, and I watched though from the sidelines because as my dad, who's a former senior pastor, he's at the center of this group and he's interacting with these people over and over and over. What I saw was this deep and tremendous respect for my dad. And it was beautiful for me to watch his interactions with these people, right? And I think that this story is actually going to set us up for the text, and we'll come back to it later, but you'll see why that story actually makes so much sense. So we're going to be in the letter of Colossians. Last week, we were in Colossians chapter 3. Um, we're not doing a Colossians study. We just happen to be staying in Colossians. So chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I don't have these verses on, on the screen, but I want you just to listen because it's very short. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Yes, I know, this is not a Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> okay, this is against where it happened with Cave Table Road. And some of you might be like groaning, because you're like, man, ugh, the road again, like we just did this in Acts. Like, we just spent a whole semester in Acts. And, and let me just say this, and just pause for a second, bring us out. If that's you for a moment, just as a reminder, if this is one of the hardest things that we do as Christians, is really live out our faith on the road and bring the gospel with us, then it's one of the things that we have to keep in front of us the most, right? And that's super significant. So how does he start? He starts, though, um, he starts by talking about prayer, right? Like, before we even get to this stuff, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, that word continue, here's what's interesting about that, is that in its very kind of first usages, way back when, when Greek was first written, that word actually meant there was a symbol for a guy standing on a boat ready to take people somewhere. 
I'm like, what a different world, you know? Like, like maybe it's like a taxi driver or something, you know, in today's world or whatnot, but it's a guy on a boat ready to take somewhere, somebody somewhere. But then what happens is that kind of the word evolved, and now here we are in our context, and what it really means is that for someone who is constantly engaged in an activity, someone who's constantly engaged in activity, so when he, when he talks about steadfastly, what he's doing is he's saying that there's this persistence, like in this prayer, like Paul in, in other places says, you know, um, pray without ceasing, like it's like, it's like it somehow can never stop, and so here's this, this steadfast prayer, this persistent prayer, and maybe, maybe your people, like you're just a person who's like, I don't understand prayer, I've never understand prayer, and, and I would just be honest, like, there are times when I'm like, man, like, I don't know why God chooses to answer that prayer or not this, like, I don't understand all that all the time. I struggle sometimes praying on my own, but I love praying in groups. And so prayer has always been a little bit challenging, right? But maybe you're like, so like Seth, why is it that, that I should be persistently praying? Like, well, like, what's the purpose? And there's probably a hundred different answers to that. Um, but one of those foundational answers, I think, could be this, is that it's a level of dependence, because there is sin, and there's brokenness inside of me, and there's sin, and there's brokenness inside of you, and there's sin and brokenness inside of the world, Right? And so that's a tension that we constantly feel, like even going back to last week, taking off the old and putting on the new, there's always this tension in our life, right? In the moment that we shift away from dependence on God, we put dependence on who? Ourselves. And so we become this kind of self-sufficiency mode, and what we can miss out on is the fact that actually every single moment, like when you're not thinking about it, every moment is a gift from God. Every moment. I heard this many, many, many years ago, and I've probably said it a hundred times, and I will continue to say it because I think it's so important. It's about prayer. It's this, is that there's nothing that you can do to demonstrate your dependence on God more than prayer. There's nothing. Nothing that you can do. Not evangelism, not save a thousand people, right? Not be the most gifted communicator ever, the most gifted teacher, the smartest person. I don't know. Like, there's nothing you can do to demonstrate your dependence on God more than prayer. Because when it's about God, it's about Him doing the work in and through us. When the moment it's not, it's about us, right? And so there's this dependence that we have on God. And so as Paul is starting this, he says, continue steadfastly. Be persistent. Be dependent on God at all times, right? This is a continual thing. But he adds that there's this element of like this attitude that's meant to be drawn into this, right? And what does he say? He says, with thanksgiving, right? With thanksgiving, this is how he qualifies this, right? So if we were to come back to this, to our, our board, you look at our first, first verse here, right? So continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, some people tend to put this word with these words over here. I think that this word actually qualifies this, just the idea of prayer. And so just from a very general speaking, it's just this prayer sense of thanksgiving giving, right? If you were to go back, which it, I don't have this on a slide, but if you go back to Colossians chapter 1 in verse 12, here's what he says. He's, this is how he starts. He starts the letter and he ends the letter in the very same way. He talks about giving thanks. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Like, what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about grace and forgiveness and redemption. So at the very least, in your prayer life and in my prayer life, gratitude starts with what? The fact that God saw us in a domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his sons. And that's this beautiful thing that we rejoice in, that we celebrate, and that we thank God for. You know, I've had the, you know, recently, um, we've been doing this at home. Um, our daughter is four, turning on five. And, and, uh, and so as we start to put her bed, I oftentimes do the role of books. And as I read books, and then we turn out the light, and then I usually say, hey, you know, sweetie, would you like me to pray? Do you want to pray, or do you want us both to pray? And recently, she said, you know what, I just want to pray. And sometimes, guys, let me just tell you, it's off the walls and crazy, okay? Um, I can't repeat some of those things, right? Um, But sometimes, here's what it is. Dear Jesus, thank you for creating light and dark. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for creating mommy and daddy. Thank you for making us a family. Thank you for the neighbors that we get to live by. Thank you that we get to come to church and celebrate and worship Jesus. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like crying, you know, because like for me in these moments, like I look at there's this beauty in her prayers. There's this constant beauty in her prayers when she does this. And for me as an adult, maybe this is true for you, is that we have this this tendency, and it's not a wrong thing, it's not bad, but we move into maybe other things that we might call real. And we miss the gratitude, we miss the thanksgiving, where we could just spend time thanking God. And as soon as she finishes her prayer, I'm like, yeah, amen, done, that's it, that's all we need. You covered it. (laughs) Like, that was so good. And so there's this thing for me, I'm going, man, I'm learning even from her in this moment. And so there's this attitude kind of of gratitude kind of a thing. But it's not just Thanksgiving that he qualifies. He also says this. He says, I want you to be watchful, right? And so as we think about these, like being watchful, right? So you've got, you know, with Thanksgiving, that attitude, but this idea of being watchful, you're like, like, what does that mean? Like, what do you think that means? Well, if we were to go um, over to Matthew chapter 26, and what we'll find is this, this passage, and let me just set the context for you, right? This is where Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in his final moments before his betrayal and his arrest and his subsequent death and resurrection. And so here he is, and he's going to go, and he's in, this, he's in this deep, sorrowful mood. Like, like, this is not really what I want to do, but yet I want God's will to be done. There's that tension in Jesus' heart. So as he goes up to pray, he brings Peter and James and John separate from the rest of the 12, he sets them in this and he says, here's the deal. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pray, okay? But I want you to stay here and I want you guys to pray. And he uses this exact same word of being watchful because here's what happens. Jesus comes back and he said, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? You see that word watch? That's the same word. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Being watchful. Like, you see this. You see that same language. Like, what is Jesus talking about? Like, is Jesus talking about the fact that, like, like no person ever in history could probably say that they have prayed without falling asleep at some point? Like, everybody in this room, you know, okay, I'm going to pray. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? Like, it happens all the time. Like, we fall asleep in our prayers. Says, Do you think that's what Jesus is talking about? Or maybe, maybe he's thinking about, like, just the sleepiness of our prayers. Like, do you ever feel like your prayers are lethargic, like, lazy, or, like, just kind of this humdrum of words? Do you ever feel like that's true for you? Do you think that's what Jesus is talking about, the sleepiness of prayer? I don't know that it is either of those. Here's what, I, here's what I think. It could be, but here's what I think. I think that Jesus is pointing us to this reality that there is a darkness in the world and that there is a temptation that comes with it. And so he's saying as you're looking and peering out, being alert and watchful, knowing that there's darkness, because here's the role of the kingdom, is that Jesus, as he is in the garden, he's bringing all of his sorrow, he's bringing all of his burdens to, to the Father, isn't he? And yet at the same time, how does he followed up with, he says, yet your will be done. And so really for Jesus, what we see is him calling these people to be watchful and alert. And so, but there's also this advancing of the kingdom, that there's this eagerness and earnestness for the kingdom. And so for you and I, I think that Paul is picking up on that in, in, in chapter four, this idea of being watchful, Right? That's a similar thing. And so if, if you're like a person who right now is struggling with prayer, I would just say this. Like, like I know that Colossians 4 to 6 is a great passage, but my challenge to you is if you go, man, I'm struggling with prayer, would you find a way to make the Garden of Gethsemane your new prayer? Like, go to, the, go to there. Like, you don't need to travel to Israel to do this, but find a way in your life to create a rhythm where you can go to the Father and you can really pour out your heart and all of the burdens and all of the struggles and yet say, yet your will be done. I want to advance the kingdom. And if it happens in a way that it's not the way that I want, that's okay, because that's your will. And so I challenge you, if you struggle with prayer, or maybe if you don't, you just need something fresh, Make the olive garden, make the olive press your prayer spot. Because I think that for you and I, I think that the temptation oftentimes in prayer is that we end up checking out boxes, right? We go check, check, check. But at the end of prayer, and what Paul is describing here for us is at the end of this prayer is not just persistence. It's not just speaking, like you're going to wake up and go, yep, okay, I, I, I prayed every day this week. Good for me, right? Um, it's not just that I was thankful, and it's not just that I was watchful. You see, at the end of the prayer, if you're emulating Jesus in his prayer, here's what you get. You get intimacy with the Father. You get to, to, to dive into a relationship with the Father in maybe ways that you never have. And so there's this, this beautiful intimacy that Jesus had that we can also have. And I think Paul invites us into that. Because that's what he starts with, right? He starts with this you, you continue. But here's what happens, is that we find out that prayer is multifaceted because he makes a shift and he turns here to say, right? It's not just about the you and the me thing, it's there's also this we thing. Because what does Paul say? He says, at the same time, pray also for me. Pray also for me. I don't know if you guys have ever read the, the letter um, that Paul also wrote to the, to the people uh, in Philippi called the Philippians. Um, and in the first chapter, what Paul does is this really cool thing is he says, I thank God for you because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And so when Paul does this, right, he's saying like there is this kingdom element, that there's this gospel and kingdom element that you and I, like we are linking arms together for that very purpose. And yet he goes on to describe 
a friendship that he has with these people. And he, in fact, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And so there's this kingdom advancement, but there's also these friendship things. And so Paul, it's almost like Paul in this moment is saying, like, what I do for you, would you please pray for me? Would you reverse and would you do that for me? Would you intercede for me? I don't know if you guys know this, but we have around 200 people every week at our church who love to pray. And so if you write out your prayer requests on those cards, know that it's going before 200 people who say, I'm going to intercede on their behalf. Like, let us pray for you. Let, let us pray for you. That is always one of the most beautiful moments in our staff meetings As we just sit around, we take a list, and we just pray over the needs of our congregation. At the end of every service, we have people up here who just love to pray. Utilize it. We have a prayer hall over here that we would love to kind of reduce. That way it's more active and engaging for you guys. But you're welcome to that any single moment of the week, as long as the doors are open. You know, come on in. We'd love to have you here. But let me just say this. At the, at the very culture of prayer, at the very bottom, the base culture of prayer, because we love prayer, we value prayer here. Guys, I would say this. If someone in your life says, hey, would you pray for me? Here's my challenge. Do it right then. It's in the second best option, put a reminder on your phone, right? And then, and then pray later. But here's the reality is that if you don't put a reminder on your phone, you're probably not going to remember. Okay, just vulnerability for a second. Some of you guys, I know a lot of you guys have come and said, hey, Seth, will you pray for this? If I don't pray for it right then, I probably forgot. Because it's hard to do that. And so here's what I would do is I would challenge you to say, just pray right then. Because like, just imagine this picture, this portrait of like people in the foyer after church. Man, I had a hard week. Hey, can I pray for you? Maybe it's at the car, in, in the parking lot, you know, or whatever it is. Maybe you, you find somebody, you see somebody at the grocery store, and hey, Bob, how you doing? It's great to see you, man. Oh, man, you're having a hard week. Don't make some big, gaudy, like, public spectacle for people to watch. That's, that's, that's not a good thing. But if you could, even in that moment, just say, you know what? Hey, let me pray for you. God, you know exactly what they need. Please help. Amen. Maybe that's it. But a culture of prayer that, that we would, when we hear about it, that we would pray right then and right now. Because whether or not we're face-to-face -face or we're a thousand miles apart, right, like part of what Paul's inviting us to is this idea that we're going to link arms in our friendship and pray for each other, and we're going to intercede for each other. At the same time, we're going to pray to advance the kingdom. That's what we want, is this community that goes into the larger community, right? And so this is friendship needs and advancing the kingdom. And you look at Paul's request here, what does he say? Because here he is, he says, here's the request that I would have for you, right? That God would open doors that I might declare the mystery. Who, like who would open? God. Not Paul, not you and I, but that God would open doors. And sometimes in life, it's really easy to see when doors are open or closed. Like for us, again, having a five-year-old, like you walk by Eden's room, and if that door's closed, you go, meh, probably shouldn't <laughs> interrupt that. If it's open, I go, yeah, okay, there's invitation, there's conversation. 
So sometimes it's open, we go, this is really easy to see. I was once in, um, when I was in seminary, not once in seminary, that's a weird thing, um, I was in seminary, and, uh, and I had driven, I used to drive about 20 minutes to go to this caribou coffee, um, because the city at the time was just hard for me. I was trying to rest, like wrap my mind around like big city life, and I was trying to get to caribou because it felt like I was like in Alaska, kind of a thing, somehow. And so, so I'd always go to this, this place, it's like 20 minutes away from campus, and so I started this very unintentionally ended up getting to know the baristas, right, and developed these friendships with them, and I was like, hey, there's something here. There's something about visiting a place over and over and over and being known, right? In fact, it got to the point where I walked in one day, and usually I just grabbed a cup of coffee, and that was it, because I was, you know, you know I didn't have a whole lot of money, and so I walked in, and there's like four people in front of me, and uh, the barista looks, and they see me, and they just like wave me around, and I'm like, ooh, this is awkward, you know, and so like I come around, and he just hands me my cup of coffee, and he says, here you go. And I didn't even have to pay. I didn't have to pay for coffee. Like, I just go and I would drink my coffee. And I remember one day I was just sitting at this, at this table doing homework, and this gal comes and she's standing at the table. And all of a sudden I look up and she said, Hey, this is awkward, but here's the deal. I feel like everybody in this place knows you, so, so I should know you. <laughs> like, open door! You know, I was like, yeah, grab a seat, let's talk. Found out she's a teacher downtown. She drives 20 minutes, I drive 20 minutes. Like, right? It wasn't Nikki, by the way. It's not how we met, um, <laughs> right? But like, you're, like, you're here you are, and all of a sudden, you start having this conversation about Jesus in the middle, I'm like a huge open door. And sometimes in life, though, like the open doors that we find are so subtle that they almost are indistinguishable from other moments. And I was with this guy once, and he was in a really kind of just, you know, poor mood. And it wasn't always, you know, like, you know, that's, that was kind of his typical character. And yet he was kind of a little bit extra off. And so as we started talking and we started kind of just asking a few questions, all of a sudden he goes, I just found out my wife is leaving. And it was a small door, but it was open. And we got to talk about Jesus, Right? And here's the reality is that you and I, we don't know how the Spirit is working in anybody's life because we're not in control. We don't know how the big story is, is being interchanged and intertwined into people's little stories. We never know really how the Spirit is working. And so it's not like we want to be these people who are just sharing the gospel every single moment, but we want to be people who are ready at every moment. Ready at every moment. And what Paul says here is that he wants to declare. And you're like, wow, they declare the mystery? That sounds intense. Uh, Seth, that's why I don't want to do it. That sounds terrifying. Can I just soften this for a second and tell you that the Greek word here means to talk? It means to speak about something. And that changes it, doesn't it? Do you ever notice that, that you and I, we love to talk about the things that we love? Like, we could talk all about movies. We could talk all about a certain book that we're reading or whatever it is because we love that, right? Like I could talk on and on and on about the Cubs except for yesterday when the Twins beat them 11 to 1. <laughs> the first, first service, I got a bunch of claps and cheering. I was like, come on, guys, of all, places, of all times. You guys, we could talk about all those things, but what we end up doing, like if Jesus isn't a part of those conversations, what we can actually do is that we can actually kind of promote that we love something else other than Jesus. If we love Jesus so much, like it doesn't matter what we're talking about, is that he can come back into that conversation. And that changes it because all of a sudden, we're not declaring, we're just talking about the thing that we love most, which is Jesus. It's not a thing, it's a who. 
And so he can get worked into really any conversation or even just how. And Paul goes on. He says, here's the deal, guys. I don't, I don't want it just to be like just me talking. I want to make it clear as I ought to speak it. Have you ever heard of the phrase, to be clear is to be kind? To be clear is to be kind. Have you ever got, felt like you just got really bad instructions or directions? You know, when, when I had made this trip to go down to Nebraska with Eden while Nikki was gone, and, and so she gave me this box, and it's a fog light for her car, and she was like, here, fix this while you're down there. I'm like, okay, great. So I get down there, and I look at this thing, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know? Like, no idea. And so what did I do? Like, I went to YouTube, to DIY, right? Which is what's so great, because they walk you through every step. What if, what if um, a DIY guy on YouTube or gal, some fixer, handy handy person just, you know, shows you the light and says, hey, here's my video. Um, this is the fog light. Um, you just got to put it in your car. You're like, that's not helpful, right? That's not, it's not, I mean, maybe it's clear, but that's not kind because that doesn't actually help me figure this out. And so for you and I, for, this is a fundamental piece of humanity is that you and I, we don't know what we don't know until we know it. And what Paul is saying is that for me, here's the deal, what once was unknown to me became known, and now what's unknown to other people, I want to make known. And what I love about this is that when he talks about it, he just says this, like, love, like he says that to make it clear, it means to reveal. And so it's like Paul's like, I love Jesus so much, guys. I love Jesus so much. It's like when I get the opportunity, it's like me unwrapping a gift. And like I'm just as excited. And I even know what's inside of it. And I'm like, Whoa, it's beautiful. Right? It's this beautiful thing. And here's the reality is that the more that you and I love the gift, the more attractive it will be to other people. The more we love the gift, the more attractive that is. But guess what? Like, like, like sharing the gospel, as Paul's talking about, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It doesn't come without consequences because if you understand the context of this letter, Paul is where? He's in chains, which means what? He's in prison. Paul is in prison. Now just imagine for a second, if you were in prison, what would you pray for? Would you pray... For safety? Would you pray for a friend? Would you pray for a, a more comfortable mattress? Would you pray that they hire Gordon Ramsay as the new chef? Would you pray, God, get me out of here? Because that's probably what I would probably pray. And yet what Paul says is that, guess what? While I'm here, would you pray that God open doors for the sake of the gospel? You see, the very thing that put him in prison is the very thing that he was eager to keep doing. And so you go, okay, how is it that someone, like Paul seems like he's almost like he's out of his mind here, right? Like who in the right mind would love that? Like it's, like it's just like crazy that he would want to do this over and over. It's like he's inviting pain into his life. And part of that is the reality that when you look back at Ephesians 4 and you find just a list, a non-comprehensive list, but a list of spiritual gifts, you find teachers, you find pastors, you find shepherds, right? You find apostles and you find evangelists. And so you go, man, that's Paul. That's Paul's gift, right? That was Paul's gift. And so if we come back over here, right? So this is not kind of in part what happens, right? Is that Paul starts this whole thing with prayer, but then he kind of makes this 
you know, kind of like this little side course, and he says this, I'm going to make my own little my own little box, because you keep praying, you keep doing what you're doing, but at the same time, I want you to pray for me. And here is an evangelist, you go, wow, that was Paul's gifting, that's why he could do this. And so it's okay for me, like I'll keep praying and I'll keep doing this and I'll pray for Paul as he is advancing the kingdom. I'll pray for him to advance the kingdom because his gift is an evangelist. And yet what Paul's going to do in this radical reversal is he's going to come not just from this, this persistent prayer type of a thing. He's going to move to our personal conduct and say it's not just about the evangelist. It's about a culture of evangelism. And do you see the tension here? Because that's what Paul's going to invite us into. Look at this in verse 5. What does he say? He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom. Right? Who are outsiders? Outsiders, this is a common language in the first century in New Testament times for people who didn't know Jesus. And yet I wonder if Paul is using a play on words here. Because where's he? He's inside. Where are everybody else? Outside. So it's like Paul is saying, hey, like while I'm in here, I got this covered. This is my zone. But guess what? On the outside of these walls, where people who don't know Jesus live, would you walk in wisdom? Would we pass the torch to you and to, as a reminder to say that you have a part? So walk wisely. And when you think about our culture, you think about their culture, you think about our culture, we go, man, there's so much need for walking in wisdom. Because last week we mentioned, we talked just a little bit about the, 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 the shooting in Atlanta. We've talked in the past about racism and ethnic wars. We've talked about hypersexuality. We've talked about technology. We, we can even add like this growing sense of gender confusion into it. And so for us as Christians that who have the truth, like it's easy for us to get caught up in how we respond. But here's the reality is that some of us in this room are involved in the very same things that we would condemn. And yet if we don't do that, right, sometimes what we do is we react to the world and we're like, that's crazy. Why would, they, why would they ever do that? That's just horrible. Why would they even think that? Like, I can't believe that. And yet if you go back to last week in chapter three, when all of those things get drawn to the heart, whether it's someone who doesn't know Jesus or myself, what's at the center? Greed and idolatry, right? That's who we are. And so what Paul's inviting us into in this, he says, walk with wisdom. He's talking about relationships. He's not talking about this idea of behavioralism and, and all that stuff. He's like, when you enter in with relationships, here's what you're bringing. You're bringing a good news that frees people from the fundamental problem of the world in which they exist in, and that is the sinful state of their heart, which is idolatry. That's what you're bringing. You're bringing freedom from that. You're not there to say, that's right and that's wrong. It's like you're bringing freedom to the world. It's the goodness of the gift. And here's how he goes on. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy up. I want you to make the most of time, okay? So if we're just to do this, by the way, this was a huge disaster, first service, so I hope it's better the second service, right? Let's just imagine 
that at the beginning of the morning, you wake up, okay, and this is you. And let's just say that, that when you do your cave time, is that you kind of get soaked with water, right? And you kind of get this saturated feel. You're like, man, I'm full. This is really good. And yet what we find is that at the end of the day, because here's what happens. Like you wake up, maybe you get your cave time in the morning. Then what do you do? You get the kids up and then you make breakfast and then you get them to school and then you go to work and work is really, really hard. And all of a sudden that one person is really just ringing on you. And then at the end of work day, you got to go pick up the kids. Then you got to run errands. Then you got to come home. Then you got to feed them. Then you got to get them to bed. And then you got 15 minutes. And you're like, this is how I feel at the end of the day. Right? Yeah. Like, we're like, man, like, this is just so hard. Like, I, like, I feel like I've just been wrung dry. Which, by the way, if you don't feel like you have a lot of water in you right now, maybe it's because you have inadequate cave and table time. Maybe, just imagine starting the next day like this. What happens when people try to ring you? Oh, there's nothing left. You see, here's what, here's what I think Paul is suggesting, is that when you, when you wake up, you get your cave time and your table time, when you walk in wisdom, here's what you do, is you to make the best use of time. As you come to each of those moments and each of those opportunities, you go, okay, with wisdom, how much do I have to give? And all of a sudden, I begin to squeeze, and I'm buying up time. I'm buying up the opportunity, and I'm using some of what I have. I don't want to do it in a way that leaves me dry and ragged, but with wisdom, I go, I'm going to make the best use of every single moment that I can. And it's my way of saying that in this moment, in this space, I'm going to spend time with you for the sake of your eternity. You see, all of a sudden, it begins to think about, like we think about how we do our life. And so those moments of work and errands and all that stuff is that I can choose to operate out of stress or I can choose to operate out of the gospel. And that's the difference in those moments that we would choose and can choose the gospel. The other day, um, I came home and I found this wedged in, in the door of our house. And it's a, it's a pamphlet, and it starts with this question at the top. It says, what is the key to happy family life? It's a great question. At the bottom, it says, do you think it's love, money, maybe something else? You open it up, and what you find is it's a track for Jehovah's Witnesses, which in and of itself is, you know, just a tract. But wedged into the door with it was this. It's a personal note. Let me read it to you. It says, hello, my name is Robin, and I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm so sorry that I missed you, but the purpose of my visit was invite, to invite you and your family to the Kingdom Hall. There you will learn the Bible and hear many discourses. I've enclosed an encouraging Bible-based tract. Please take the time to visit our website in the back. There you can find answers to life's biggest questions. I hope to see you again. Have a great day. Can I just say this with all soberness and humility? You and I need to do better than this. This is pretty good. We need to do better. Because when I look at Jehovah's Witness, I go, I don't, that's not what I believe. I don't think that's true. You know what I think is true? What we have. We need to do better. 
that we need to be able to say that we would sacrifice, and that requires a ton of intentionality and a ton of compassion. And Paul goes on, he says, it's not just about that, guys. He says, here's the deal, it's about how you talk to people. He says this, he says, let your words be gracious, seasoned with salt. He doesn't even tell them what to say. He's like, I don't even need to unpack the gospel for you. You know the gospel, but let me tell you how you ought to say it. Let me tell you that your words, they should always be gracious. Not sometimes, not one time, not in this moment or that moment, but, but all times, always gracious. And guess what? They should be seasoned with salt. My, uh, one of my mentors used to tell a story about when he was growing up, his mom made the best meatloaf. And it was so flavorful and so good. Because by the way, what does salt do? It adds flavor, right? And so his mom made this great meatloaf. And then he got married to Susie. And Susie's mom also made a meatloaf. And when he went and she plopped this thing on his plate, he thought to himself, he didn't say it, but he thought to himself, what's that? And then she took a bite and he goes, like internally, he goes, this is the blandest, most flavorless thing that I have ever tasted. And so he goes, "Um, do you have any salt or pepper? (laughs) And he goes, he goes, the way that she looked at me in that moment, he goes, I don't think she forgave me until the day that she passed, you know? Like, there's this reality that salt adds flavor. What it also does is that it makes people thirsty. And when you look at Jesus, what does he do? He's constantly drawing people in. They're constantly wanting to come back. And sometimes he tells them hard truth and they leave. But for many times, he's t- he tells stories and he asks questions. And I think that so often, sometimes it's true for me, maybe it's true for you, that in our culture, we're more concerned with giving the right answers than we are with sitting and listening and asking questions and building relationships. Because what I would say is this, is that what we talk about and how we talk about it matters. We know that what we talk about matters, but how you talk about it, gracious, seasoned with salt, Because when you do, people are going to ask questions. And when people ask questions, that's when you have the right to come back and talk about this. History says that you will know how you ought to answer each person. And so I want you to notice that there's a funnel here and how this ends, right? Because at the very beginning, what is he talking about? He's talking about how you walk, right? He says, walk in wisdom. But then he talks about your words. And so he moves on to this idea of talking, right? So when you walk, walk in wisdom. When you talk, when your mouth is open, your words should be gracious and they should be seasoned with salt. And when the opportunity is there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to share, right? But all of this is what defines us as Christians in the world in which we live, at least how we ought to live. And so when I come back to the story about golf and I think about my dad and I think about all these 18, 20 guys in the space and how they're interacting with him, how he's investing in these people and though they couldn't give like a darn about Jesus, here's my dad and he's building bridges over and over. It was a sight to see and they loved him for it. And I thought, man, I want to be like that. The third day that we went golfing, and not to end on a sober 
our uh, thing, and I cried first service, but this is, this is so moving to me. Uh, the third day we went golfing, and the guy that we played with, it was just ourselves and one other, and uh, we got rained out after nine holes, and so we went to his house just to hang out. His son came over, you know, we're just hanging out, and my dad went to go play ping pong with his son, and so all of a sudden it's just me and this guy that my dad has been investing in in this moment, and uh, we start talking about kids and adoption, and we, then we talk about grandkids, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, this. He says, I wish my wife was here to see my grandkids. I said, I know. My dad told me a little bit about it on the way over. She died in a motorcycle accident, right? Yeah. You were driving? Yep. You carry that with you today still, don't you? Yep. I said, was it your fault? He goes, Probably. And in that moment, the man that my dad had been investing in was the moment that I could share Jesus. And here's what I would tell you guys this. This is the tension, right? Is that we would love to pray over just the evangelists, that they would advance the kingdom, right? And we do that because they are gifted in ways that we are not. I'm not an evangelist, but I believe in the culture of evangelism which is the way the church is meant to operate in the world that we live in, that we would walk wisely. So here's my challenge, is that even if you're not this, if you're struggling with this, here's my challenge, go back to prayer. Would you at least start with prayer and ask that God do a work inside of your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we finish our time this morning, I want to start with this, start with a sense of gratitude, because that's the way the prayer starts. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that, that you transferred us from the kingdom and the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your sons, of your beloved sons, or that we were a people entrenched in darkness, unable to escape, and that you took us and you placed us into a new environment with a new heart and a new being and a new existence. That's the love that you extended to us, and we say thank you. We thank you for the constant, not just that, but for the constant and the continual grace that you provide, how, how every moment is a gift from you. May we be dependent on you and remember that throughout our days. But Lord, in the midst of that, Lord, I ask that you would teach us and call us to walk wisely in the world that we live in, in a world that's broken and desperate, that part of us, part of what we understand is that the cave time, that makes us more like Jesus. And the table time, that makes us more like Jesus too. But we cannot divorce the road because that was Jesus as well. And so Lord, I pray that you would bring completion and balance even into our lives as we're following Jesus and seeking to fall in love with him more every day and to invite the world to do the same. Lord, stir in our hearts. Lord, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.